I could give the 30-second recap, but I'm not <laughs> going to do that. <laughs> um, uh, so anyway, just I had this thought while I was sitting here, you know, just that's this moment and then thinking every Zen student, every Buddhist who's ever meditated over 2,500 years has had many moments like this. It's just this is one moment that is a moment for me. It's a moment right here. But the beauty and timelessness of that moment exists for for everyone throughout our tradition. And also, it's not just in our tradition. It's also uh, available to anyone who is awake. And that completely cuts across any kind of uh, spiritual or religious tradition. But we have this playful method of taking things in. So I just wanted to underscore that uh, and appreciate it. Like right now, it's really quiet. I can't even hear the crows, which is unusual. They're pretty constant background. But there'll be sounds. There'll be the sound of the wind. There'll be the sound of the crows and other birds. There'll be the sound of traffic. Just to be receptive to all of that. And be appreciative and respectful of it. That is, that's the game. That's what we're playing at here. So I wanted to um, maybe extend from that uh, to share something from a chapter in Not Always So. Uh, and uh, it's a chapter I have, I'm not sure I've ever spoken about it here, but uh, I'm sure that Sojin has, and I've done it elsewhere. It's, uh, the chapter is called um, Respect for things. Uh, and I think that the so I was looking at this is this is my funky copy, which is all underlined and everything. And I went and I looked at uh, Sojin Roshi's copy yesterday and and perused all of the uh, all the penciled notations that he has in in the margins. And uh, boy, his copy, if not always so, is really marked up, you know. Um, and at the bottom of the first page, uh, there's he writes um, he writes menmitsu no kafu. People know? Does anyone know that expression? Menmitsu no kafu, and I think that he. He spoke about that uh, variously, and um, what it means 
variously translated is uh, our careful and considerate way or our intimate way. Uh, that is uh, something Suzuki Roshi talks about in, he uses the expression in his uh, Sandokai lectures and printing streams and he quotes Tatsugami Roshi, who was quoting Dogen. Uh, and Tatsugami Roshi was uh, the teacher that uh, Suzuki Roshi invited to set up the monastic forms at Tassahara. And he was Sojin's Shuso teacher. When Sojin was uh, Shuso at Tassahara, I think in 71, uh, 70 or 71, Tatsukami Roshi was there and he was, he was his instructor and uh, he writes about him in, uh, uh, just sort of glowingly in his book, uh, even though Tatsukami Roshi basically had no English and Sojin had no Japanese, he felt they communicated very well. But Tatsugami Roshi, in one of his lectures, speaks about uh, Menmitsu no Kafu. And Suzuki Roshi describes this as really the, the, the spirit of our Soto way. This careful, considerate way. And that is what Sojin Roshi wrote in the margins in this chapter. Uh, respect for things, which would also, of course, include respect for people. The, ep uh, the epigraph at the beginning of the chapter says, it's a quotation from within the chapter, instead of respecting things, we want to use them for ourselves. And if it is difficult to use them, we want to conquer them. Uh, so, uh, he begins, in our Zen practice, we stop our thinking and we are free from our emotional activity. Now, Sojin, in his notes, uh, uh, he underlines, stop our thinking, and he's written, let go of our thinking, which I think is, is probably more expressive uh, because we can be confused by Suzuki Roshi's expression, stop our thinking, because we can't stop our thinking. It's absolutely unstoppable until we're dead. Uh, you know, our mind is always secreting thoughts, but letting go of our thinking means just to let them, let them flow and not be attached to them. So we let them flow and again he says that we are free from our emotional activity. We don't say there is no emotional activity but we are free from it. Maybe more accurately we are free in it. Again, just as we can't stop our thoughts, 
uh, we can't, we're not likely to stop our emotional activity, but we can be free within it. Just recognize emotional activity as emotional activity and uh, allow it to move, which inevitably it will. He says, we don't say we have no thinking, but our life activity is not limited by our thinking mind. In short, we can say that we trust ourselves completely, without thinking, without feeling, without discriminating between good and bad, right and wrong. So this is, you know, all this, this whole first paragraph is, to me, is typically uh, really challenging Suzuki Roshi kind of, his, his discourse is really challenging. And we have to figure out how we understand it and not necessarily to take it literally, but to get to the spirit of what he means. Uh, and I think that the last sentence in this paragraph helps us unpack this. He says, because we respect ourselves, because we put faith in our life, we sit. So our faith in our life, that was what, what Sojin wrote over the heading for this chapter is faith in our life. And uh, this is a challenge, you know, because we respect ourselves, because we put faith in our life, we sit. And so the question, of course, is how do we respect ourselves? How do we put faith in our life? Uh, and the, I think that the, what Suzuki Roshi is saying is that we can that that's always available to us. That respect for our life, that faith is always there. Uh, and <clears throat> when we sit, we bring it forth. We express it. He says, our relationship with nature should also be like this. We should respect everything and we can practice respecting things in the way we relate with them. So then he gets to this section, which we've heard in, uh, in various talks over the years. Uh, this morning, when we were bowing in the Zendo, we heard a big noise overhead. This is in San Francisco where uh, the Zendo was underneath the, the dining room. Uh -huh. We heard a big noise overhead because upstairs in the dining room, people were pushing chairs across the tile floor without picking them up. This is not the way to treat chairs. Not only because it may disturb the people who are bowing in the Zendo underneath, but also because fundamentally, this is not a respectful way to treat things. To push the chairs across the floor is very convenient, but it will give us a lazy feeling. Of course, this laziness is part of our culture, and it eventually causes us to fight with each other. Instead of respecting things, we want to use them for ourselves, and it's difficult. if it is difficult to use them, we want to conquer them. 
this kind of idea does not accord with the spirit of practice. Uh, so we handle things respectfully. Uh, I've often said this, and Sojin often said this is, you know, we we hold a cup in the zendo with with two hands. Um, I try, when I'm moving this chair, uh, I try to pick it up. And when I'm placing my cushions on the floor to support my feet, uh, I pick them up and I place them on the floor and position them. Uh, I don't drop them. And uh, I don't, we don't uh, position our zab zabatons during sashin uh, by moving it with our foot, which is, that's convenient. But it's different from treating the zabaton or the cushion or the cup as part of ourselves. I think that it's easier, easier to uh, do this practice like that with inanimate objects. Because uh, if we push them with, around with our foot, they don't say, ouch, and they don't tell us that we're being rude. Whereas when we're in relationship to each other, from one person to another, we have to be really careful. We have to take into consideration a whole realm of action. You know, what is, uh, how does Menmitsu no Kafu apply in relation to each other? And none of us are perfect in this. We have our way. Uh, we try to be aware of it and mindful of it. And we mess up, and if we notice that, we can we can apologize and correct ourselves. Uh, if somebody else feels the impact of that, if they're kind enough to say that, we can we can own that and apologize and learn. And so we're really careful in how we relate to ourselves relate to ourselves and each other here in the Zendo. And the thing is that that has to, that does not confine just to the Zendo. The idea is that uh, we take this practice out of the world. Uh, later on in this chapter, <laughs> Suzuki Roshi says, this is what we call the bodhisattva way, this uh, careful, considerate way. Uh, our practice is to help people. And to help people, we find out how to practice our way on each moment. So that's important to realize that the function of our practice is to 
help people, which includes ourselves. Basically help them be free, but that freedom can occur in any moment, in any activity, in any interaction. And we always have to be open for that moment. Last week, you know, somebody contacted me that I haven't really spoken to in, in quite a few years. Uh, there was a conflict and we sort of went our separate ways and then had a mutual concern about somebody. And that person uh, reached out to me with a question. And that was, it was like, oh, okay, this is an opportunity to express the connection that I feel that even, that the, the connection that I feel that supersedes whatever conflict might have been there. And so I just responded. And we had a really good conversation. And there's, we have a plan to do something together. Uh, and that was each of us creating an opportunity to set aside something that was painful. Now, maybe we will resolve this. You know, maybe we'll, there'll be some going back and examining what happened, but maybe not. Maybe this is just a rebuilding, a reweaving of the fabric. Uh, but it's based on the fact that there, there really is an abiding connection, is the mutually understood wish to respect each other and also mutually understood wish to help sentient beings. And if we can find a way to do that together, that's really, that's great. And I encourage you to look, look in your own life and see if you have examples of that. And I would own that. Sometimes that means taking the long view. You know, could be a really long view, could be a decade, you know, but if there was a connection then there might be that spark of possibility. And if there's that spark of possibility, our responsibility is to kindle that into a flame that generates light. So find the light that exists, even in these difficult moments.
if we think, this is going back to the chapter, if we think it is easy to practice because we have a beautiful building, which we do, that is a mistake. Actually, it might be quite difficult to practice with a strong spirit in this kind of setting, where we have a handsome Buddha and offer beautiful flowers to decorate our Buddha hall. We Zen Buddhists have a saying that with a blade of grass we create a golden Buddha which is 16 feet high. That's our spirit, so we need to practice respect for things. In other words, um, however humble the environment may be, um, we have the opportunity to see that 16-foot golden Buddha there. I don't mean that we should accumulate many leaves or grasses to make a big statue. Uh, but until we can see a big Buddha in a small leaf, we need to make much more effort. How much effort? I don't know. Uh, some people may find it quite easy. But for someone like me, that's, I'm quoting Suzuki Roshi, but it applies to me. For someone like me, great effort is needed. So we may see, particularly in Sashin, uh, at any moment we might see a fallen leaf as a 16-foot golden Buddha. It can pierce us right through to the heart. We need to we just open ourselves to allow that to happen. We can't make it happen. But we can allow ourselves to be fully receptive. And, you know, when we notice it, we can sort of mentally clap our hands and say, yay, you know, wow, I just, I just saw the Buddha. Uh, and then go back to your sitting. You know, take that leaf and plow it back into the soil. Don't hold on to it. Don't create an altar for it. It's altar. The leaf has its own altar wherever it is. Wherever it is, it is fully at home. We don't have to we don't have to put it in an exalted place because it's already in its own place. Well actually although seeing a large golden Buddha in a large golden Buddha is easier. When you see a large golden Buddha in a blade of grass, your joy will be something special. I didn't even I forgot this was here. We need to practice respect with great effort. So it's this respect for all things that creates the environment within which that uh, 
perception and that joy can arise. In this sendo, everyone can come and practice our way. Experienced students and those also those who don't know anything about Zen. Both will have difficulties, that's for sure. New students will have difficulties that they could never have imagined. Old students have a double duty to do their practice and encourage those who have just come. I would say old students uh, will also have difficulties that they never imagined. Yeah. It's the difficulties don't stop, but the uh, potentials for play don't stop. Old students have a double duty to do their own practice and to encourage those who have just come. Without telling them you should do this or you shouldn't do that, the old students should lead the new students so that they can practice their way more easily. That's why we have a Shuso. That's what the Shuso does. Shuso doesn't tell you do this, don't do that. Shuso just practices so that we can all observe her and uh, find a way to practice like her. And she's only she's so for a time, but we can always find a way to practice like, we should always be looking to Sue, but her term of office only lasts six weeks. And then next year there'll be another one. So we're constantly uh, putting people in the position of uh, being this model, but really each of us is the model. Each of us has to think of ourselves as a Shiso and be modeling for uh, those who come and modeling for each other. That is also Menmitsu no Kafu. Even though newer students don't know what Buddhism is, they will naturally have a good feeling when they come to this beautiful Buddha hall. That is the ornament of a Buddha land. But for Zen Buddhists especially, the true ornament of the Buddha land, of the Buddha hall, the true or ornament of the Buddha Hall is the people who are practicing there. That's us. Each one of us should be a beautiful flower, and each one of us should be Buddha, leading people in our practice. Whatever we do, we are considering how to do this. Since there are no special rules for how to treat things or how to be friendly with others, we keep studying what will help people practice together. If you don't forget that point, you will find out how to treat people and how to treat things and how to treat yourself. So that is, it's not just respect for things, it's also respect for all beings and respect for ourselves. And we're playing at that.
I think we have a very good spirit here in this Zendo. I think he's, he's looking at us. I am rather amazed at the spirit. But the next question is how to extend this spirit to your everyday life. You do it by respecting things and respecting each other. Because when we respect things, we will find their true life. Though love is important, it is, if it is separated from respect and, and sincerity, it will not work. With big mind and pure sincerity and respect, love can really be love. So he's talking here about unconditional love, not, not love that is self-centered. There's all kinds of love, but um, the love that transcends self and other, that includes self and other as one, uh, and is capable of shifting its focus, bringing our spirit of practice to bear on each person that we're encountering. With big mind and with pure sincerity and respect, love can really be love. So let's try hard and find out how to make a blade of grass into a big Buddha. So I'm going to stop there and uh, leave time for your questions or comments, and we can play together. <coughs> Jerry has her hand up. You're going to pass the microphone, right? Well, thank you very much. That was a wonderful talk. Thank you. And um, I've been thinking about playing since Sue brought it up yesterday. And, um, and to me, uh, description of playing is um, not knowing mind with great curiosity, with great effort, and with great creati creativity and imagination. Um, and that seems to, uh, and, and that triggered a memory of um, Norman Fisher's book, The World Could Be Otherwise, that the paramitas are the way are a way that we do this. Yeah. With other people, generosity, etc., ethical behavior. I think that there there are several Dharma systems that uh, that give us really good instruction. The Paramitas are one. Uh, Sojin was partial to the factors of enlightenment, which overlap with the Paramitas in in many ways. Uh, I'm partial to uh, the Bodhisattvas for embracing dharmas, uh, which are generosity, kind speech, beneficial action, and 
identity action or cooperation. Each of these is a, is a each of these is a system that helps us in finding how to relate to each other. Yeah, thank you. There's several hands. Judy and Rob. Thank you, Hozan. I, I hear in what you're speaking to uh, the principle of reciprocity. And um, at the same time, uh, I've been reading um, Braiding Sweetgrass, and uh, she speaks in there uh, you know, about indigenous ways as they relate to, to plants and people and so on. And one of the things she talks about in her people's language is that there's no, there's no word or understanding of things. So everything is animate. And she said in order to learn that language, she had to learn the grammar of animacy. And Gram grammar. the grammar of animacy. Animacy, okay. And everything is, and, and she said that um, so a friend of hers uh, to bring this into English. Uh, Any time that uh, in English one would call a thing a thing, an it, a this, a that, she would say someone. So for instance, um, if there's a stick uh, that lands in her cup of tea, she'd say, oh, someone's in my in this cup. Uh, and I'm thinking about how this is really an imperative from you know the real challenges of our time, not the least of which is climate change, you, you know, racism wait, wait. You, and so on. You can move your microphone a little further from your mouth. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering whether it's Japanese or Mandarin or English or these um, indigenous languages, how do we how do we not get caught in human-centric or just centric things that come from language that we might not be seeing and just really go to the heart of reciprocity? Well. I don't want to get caught on the meaning of reciprocity. There's something inherent in that word that that's problematic for me. But in terms of how do we recognize uh, every thing as alive, uh, you know, I think a, a good thing is not as good as nothing as no thing. So, no thing. There's no thingness. Uh, that everything that we think of as a thing is a manifestation of infinite causes and conditions coming together. Uh, and just as there's no thing, we also 
problematize uh, experience. We take something that is boundless in its uh, in its alignment of causes and conditions, and we call it an experience. But it's not. It's it's beyond that. So, uh, for example, you know, we talk about an enlightenment experience. But it's not that there's no experience. It's not that there's no thing. It's just, it's also that it's completely beyond that and completely alive. And to recognize that life, I think, you know, we can assign a word to it. It's like, oh, someone fell in my cup of coffee. You know, that's, I like that. Um, and, yes, but as soon as we put things into words, uh, at the very best, we're making a mistake on purpose. Uh, that there's something about language that concretizes uh, whatever it is that comes through our perceptions. And uh, yet the language itself, and Dogen is really clear and great about this, the language itself is beyond its dualistic uh, framework. That, you know, a poet, a writer, anyone who puts words down or who speaks as I'm speaking right now is doing some miraculous activity uh, that is beyond the precise words that might be, might be used. So just to appreciate that, to rejoice in that. I just wanted to say something about play. Um, I have a book at home, I think it's buried under a stack of other books, about comedy. Um, it's kind of a how-to book. Um, did you, did you, were you an aspiring stand-up? No, no, I wasn't. <laughs> um, I'd like to see that. It's an interesting book. Um, and there's a chapter in it about sketch comedy, and I love sketch comedy. Because you know you've seen like whose line is, is it anyway? Yeah, oh, These other yeah. shows where they say, okay, you are this person and you are in this place and here's the situation, and then they just create this thing. And so the the what the book says is is that the principle of sketch comedy is um, encapsulated in the phrase yes and. Right. <laughs> and it's not no but. It's yes and that somebody offers something and the other person says, oh yeah, yeah, and plays on that and, and extends it. And, and, um, and one of my favorite bits in the book was that, that there were these two comics, a man and a woman that got together and got married and they had a child. And as the child was growing in the mother's belly, she got a t-shirt that said, yes, and across <laughs> her belly. And as I was sitting here thinking about that, it occurred to me that maybe that ought to be my epitaph. Yes, and on my tombstone. That's pretty good. That, uh, you know, and, but the other thing about, about the, 
the way that that works, the yes and, is that it's the, the mechanism of it is, is seeing the other person and engaging, and there's an element of respect in that, respect and extension and affirmation that, that I think is a really important part of play. And it, it also goes to what you were saying about respect for objects, respect for people, that in play there is inherently respect. Right, and that's what I think children are learning when, when they play. And uh, yeah, yes, and that—that's—that's that's, that's a principle of improvisation. Certainly, of improvisational theater, comedy, uh, music, dance, uh, all those things. Uh, you know, when you're playing guitar, if you're playing with people, uh, somebody plays something and you respond. You don't—you don't cut them off or negate them. And that's really, that's actually the principle that I was uh, getting to when I was speaking about the kind of healing potential uh, that I encountered last week. Uh, there was a, a bid, and I said yes, and the other person said yes. And out of that, something that, where there was a big gap, something potential and healing emerged. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's great. That's, it's important to remember that's, that's part of the play of our lives, I think. Is there anyone in Zoom lands? There's a hand here, Zach. Um, I often feel in my life that I'm compelled, or like I have an urge or desire to take more care of things than circumstances allow. Um, I'm thinking of, like, just at the work day, how nice it would have been to, like, work on the gate as, like, a, and take real care of the wood and, like, build it in uh, a way that is very sturdy and, and kind and uh, honoring the, the woodness of the wood. But instead, because we have to get the gate done, we're just screwing two by fours together. And I don't want to say that with any judgment of it, but it's more, it seems like there are lots of times in our lives when we can't care for things as fully as maybe they deserve. And I wonder how When Dharma fills your body and mind, you realize that something is missing. That's from Dogen. Um, you realize, and what's missing is a fixed self. What's missing is whatever your idea of completeness might be. And we live with that live in awareness of that gap and you know you could complete that if you're capable of it I completed it as a when Dharma fills your body and mind you realize that something is missing 
and that's just fine. Even though I may not feel entirely fine about it, but to come to accept that that's actually the nature of our lives. And in the end, uh, I think, apropos what Rob was saying, yes, and means we're not, we're not finished, you know, but we may have run out of time here. Uh, and that's painful to consider, and that's also the way things are. So within the constraints that are available to you, uh, to treat things as respectfully and as fully as you can. Okay, I'm gonna just gonna take uh, Yoni and Ellen, and then we're gonna have to end. Nazakari's uh, comment made me think of a story I heard once in here about two people painting a house. Maybe Ron Master was there. Does anyone remember that story? Well, and can say it again. Ron's shaking his head no, but <laughs> do you remember the story? It was something like uh, two people were painting a house, and, and the other one said, you know, we're not just painting a house here. He said the first person was trying to say how we should paint the house, and the second person said, You're th you think we're painting a house. What we're doing is building a relationship or something like that. Okay, okay. Yeah. Where do you remember that from? Ron. Ron, it's on you. Ron is, Ron is going. Mary, Mary Duryea is uh, nodding. I think it's her story. It's your story? Now, were you painting or were you? Well, it's monetized to protect the individuals involved. Okay. Okay. Ron, you're off the hook. It wasn't your story. It was, it was Mary's story. <laughs> Okay, and just ill, and then that'll be it. Uh, thank you, Hosanna. And this is also a story. Um, so I this love, is I love stories. From when I was pretty new to practice, and I was studying with Joko Beck, and she talked about respecting objects and so on. And I came to what we called Hosanna, and I said, you know, I just totally get this. You know, I just like. I'm respecting objects and I'm putting everything away. And she just looked at me really dryly and she said, Ellen, don't get carried away. <laughs> That's really strange. It is really easy to get carried away. Well, in the footnotes to this chapter, uh, in the, not the footnotes, in, in Sojin's uh, liner notes is his marginal writings. At one point at the bottom of one page, he says, don't be too fussy. <laughs> and the other story that came to me as I was reading about, reading around yes, last night about Menmitsu no Kafu, somebody told a story of studying with Upandita in uh, Burma. And you would have interviews with the teacher every day. and. Uh, walked in and uh, with a Dharma question and Upandita said, wait a minute, 
Tell me what you were thinking when you put your shoes down outside the door. And, uh-oh. Weird. You've been signed out because your account has been signed in from another device. Okay. Okay. This is a sign from God. But anyway, uh, then the interview was over. You know, and you remember which side of the that that's then then it was another, then the next day, uh, at least in this store in this version, it's like, uh, do you remember what you were thinking when you woke up this morning? And the person said, no. And the interview was over. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so you can get teachers can be tough about this stuff. And it's just, it's a question of, we do have to know where we are applying our mindfulness. And that's, you know, that was that practice. That's not necessarily our practice. It's not not our practice. Uh, but we're talking about a wider, softer awareness. Uh, like what I like to say, which is a conundrum, is concentrate on everything. You know, uh, but mostly pay attention to how, do our best to pay attention to how we relate to each other. Okay, thank you all.